We are continuing in this series. Uh, we took a little break last week with uh, Rich Robinson from Jews for Jesus. Wasn't that great? Uh, presentation last week, I learned new stuff that was fun. Uh, but we've been in this uh, series we're calling Keywords. Just looking at kind of essential terms or words from our, our faith things, words we bat around and maybe don't even know what we're talking about all the time. We've looked at faith and freedom and uh, next week we're going to look at mercy and grace. But today I want to talk about the word life. Life. It's a great word. It's positive. It's, it's something we're always seeking. If you meet a fun person, what do we say? We say, man, she's just so lively. Right? It's a, it's a positive attribute. Maybe your car broke down and uh, there's good news. The mechanic was able to bring it back to life. Exactly. You, uh, you painted the kitchen this year. And uh, you, it just breathed new life into your whole home and decor. The Bible's perfect opening line, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That perfect opening line of Scripture leads to this just a few verses later. God said, after He's created all the, all the universe and the creatures and plants and trees and everything... He says, let us make human beings, let us make mankind in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Life is a good thing. Life is, it has always been God's intention. Life now on this earth and the promise of eternal life to come. But then we've got this, this nagging interference called death. And death is, according to the Bible, a number of things. One is death is an enemy. I've got this so let's look at that um, First Corinthians passage on the slide. It's, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. And then all who belong to Christ will come, will be raised when he comes back. Next one. After that, the end will come. And when he will turn the kingdom over to God, the father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. One more. For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. Death is an enemy. It's, it's, um, and it's not beautiful. Death is not a gift from God, despite what you might be hearing in the media these days. Death, as we know it, is ugly and hideous, and it's not a part of God's created intention. Death is the work or the domain of the devil. In John 10.10, we read that Jesus himself said, referring to the devil, the thief, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But here's the problem. Death is inevitable. Last we checked, the human mortality rate still sits at a solid 100%. Now, I could 
point out some scripture to sort of make my point, but I, I think you understand that's what it is. We all will die. There's no exceptions to that. Now, it might happen too soon. It might not happen soon enough if you're anxious to meet Jesus or you're trying to avoid serving in VBS this week. But death is coming. So death is an enemy and death is inevitable. And death is unpredictable. Or is it? You see, if you live in Washington or Oregon or Vermont or New Mexico and possibly soon California, if you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, you are allowed to ask your doctor for a lethal prescription to use at the moment of your own choosing. In a worldview that has rejected God as creator, it's, it makes sense. It's logical. If I deny that God created me, then I deny that God has anything else to say about my life. It's called assisted suicide or death of dignity or an end of life option or compassion and choice. Nice euphemistic terms. Death advocates in Canada are putting it this way. There's a little thing. Dying with dignity, Canada. It's your life. It's your choice. No, it's not. Biblical worldview would say that that's, that's a violation of God's intention for us. Now, I'm going to be talking about life. I'm going to be top, touching on the topic of suicide and most likely every one of us in this room has been touched in some way by suicide and it's a heartbreak every time. And I'm not here to condemn and I'm very thankful for the wideness of God's grace and God's mercy. But we're here to talk about life and why God would have us choose life. I blogged this week, in case you're wondering, what's a blog? That's when people write their thoughts and they post it on the internet. It just stands for web blog. Blog. That's how we came up with that. It's free. Um, I blogged this week about Brittany Maynard, the organ cancer patient who ended her own life last November. In the weeks leading up to her decision, Maynard really became the face of the right to die debate. A former editor of the New England Journal of, Medi- uh, New England Journal of Medicine wrote that Maynard was, quote, a new face of the assisted dying movement who had, quote, greatly helped future patients who want the same choice. It was said she was courageous to end her life. Now, let's think about that word courageous or courage for a moment, because Webster's dictionary defines courage this way. Courage, mental or moral strength to Venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. That's courage. So when I think about those who would say the courageous thing is to end your life, I think of the words of the great swordsman in Nina Montoya. Well, let's have him say it himself. Didn't fall? Inconceivable. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Enough said. Right? God alone is the giver of life. And while death is the enemy, that enemy has been defeated, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15. Neither death nor suffering have the last word for the believer. Freedom from even the fear of death or the fear of the method of death is an essential element of the good news. Death has lost its power over you. So we're going to read a passage in Acts together. You might wonder why we would use this, but hopefully it makes sense. Acts chapter 17, 
And um, I'm going to invite you to, as you find that, I'm going to invite you to stand. Um, it, it's not that long, Ron. Let's, I won't worry about it. Or, well, yeah, if you need a Bible, give a wave at Ron. He'll get you one. <laughs> Acts chapter 17. And uh, we're going to be page 703. And I love that we have Bibles available to you. But can I just go on record saying, if you have a Bible, just get in the habit of bringing your own Bible. And if it's a tablet, that's fine. If it's on your phone, that's fine. But... You know, it's just a good practice. Bring your Bible to church. We're going to use it every week, I promise you. Okay? So get in the habit of bringing your Bible to church. We're in Acts chapter 17. And uh, it says page 703, but that's not true. It's page 691, I believe. Yes, I have the whole thing memorized. (laughs) I do not. I shall not lie. Okay, Acts 17, starting at verse 22. What's happened here is the Apostle Paul has gone to Athens and he's waiting in Athens for his friends Silas and Timothy. And as he's wandering around, um, he, he goes to this place where the philosophers hang out called Mars Hill. Some of you have been there. How many of you have been in Mars Hill? It's still, it's still there. It's a hill and it's, it's still there. It's pretty cool. Um, a place called the Aeropagus. And so he's surrounded by all these um, idols and so on. In verse 22, it says, Paul, standing before the council or the Areopagus, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. Verse 26, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and he determined their boundaries. His purpose, verse 27, was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Here's why I want you to see this passage. This is one of the few times we have in Scripture where the gospel is shared with non-Jewish, non-believers. So, so pagans without any, any experience of a, of, of a Jewish background or Jewish understanding as, as most everyone else in our, in our New Testament has. Okay? So when the, when the Apostle Paul speaks to pagans with no background, as Jews do or as Christians would, No background to understand God. Here's the essential points that Paul wants them to grasp. Right? Starting in verse, jumping up to verse 24. Paul says, okay, you guys know nothing. Where do I start? He starts at the beginning. Verse 24, that God is the creator. Right? God made the world. He made everything. Then he goes on to say that God is the sovereign Lord over the world. He didn't just create it and back off. He's 
continues to be the Lord over it. Verse 24 and 29, that God cannot be represented by an image or an idol or an altar, cannot be housed in a temple. Okay, so God is not that sort of limited, tangible person. Verses 24 and 28, that God is the source of life and all sustenance. That God determines and directs the nations, verse 26. That God's purpose is to redeem all nations, verse 27. And verse 30, that God has been gracious and patient with us. And then finally, in the last couple of verses, 30 and 31, that God now calls for repentance and faith in Jesus. So when Paul's saying, okay, these people don't know anything, they've got no background, very much like the condition we're in in the United States today, in North America, where people who do, do not grow up knowing, well, what's Christmas and what's Easter and, and what, well, I know Jesus loves me, that, that, that's... That's gone, friends. That's gone from our culture. Certainly for anyone that's under 30, that's gone. It is, exists in pockets, but it's generally gone. And so when, the, when Paul's speaking, these are the things he goes back to. God's the creator. God made life. He sustains life. He's patient, but he wants to redeem all people. And he's calling you to put your faith in Jesus. And so that's how Paul summarizes a Christian worldview for a pagan group. And foundational in there is that God created life and sustains life. We continue to breathe because God gives us breath. So as a believer, now in a society that offers death as an option for the ill or the infirm, you and I need to know why the good news of salvation is incompatible with the assisted suicide movement. And you're thinking, Brian, are we really having a political discussion here? Well, it is somewhat political because... There is a state bill in California that's right in progress. It already passed in the Senate called SB 128. That is a, an option to die um, legislation. And I've said to you before, I do not want to be known as a pro-something church or an anti-something church word about Jesus. But friends, we need to be also somewhat informed because you're going to have water cooler conversations and you're going to have conversations with your neighbors or at family dinners and there's a lot of misunderstanding around this and you need to know that as believers we're about life so that's why we're talking about this today i'm going to give you four points um, about why it's not up to us to end life four points of, of what we would call sanctity of life first is that life is valuable because god created us in his image if you're in your outline you can use that point Life is valuable because God created us in his image. Tell me, why is a Lamborghini more valuable than a Kia? No, no offense to Kia owners. Name value. Because Lamborghini made it. So, um, so even, Sam, even if Kia made a car that looked just like a Lambo, like a, a Guardo or what's the, what's the nice one called? Aventador. Okay, so if Kia made like a, an Aventador knockoff, would it not be the same price as a... Not the same. It's different because of who made the car. And if you have a quarter million extra dollars and you want to drive a Lambo around, bring it by my house. We'll go for a drive. <laughs> right? You have immeasurable value because God made you. You didn't make yourself. And you're not a random product of the cosmos. You were intentionally created, which means you have a purpose and you have value. And not only that, God created us in his likeness, it says, a being with an eternal future. 
with, with emotion and logic and with the ability to think and make decisions and the ability to, to love and the ability to deny our animal instincts and to, to improve our lives and created to be in relationship with other people, created with the ability to be creative, to be caring, to be constructive, all those, val- those qualities. You might feel that there's something in you that's deficient. Right? You don't feel as beautiful as your coworker or your classmate, or you wish you were, you were smarter or healthier or more gifted. You wish you could you know, you play guitar or, or you could run faster. But you bear the image of God, not physically, but in your capacity to shine with the presence of the glory of God. There's lots of great examples. I'm going to show you a picture of two extreme examples of this. Nick Wojcik, I think I'm saying his name right. Have you anybody familiar with just just Google that guy. And if you if you aren't sure about how to spell that last name, you just Google guy that has no arms and legs. That's what I did yesterday. And that's and I got him because lots of people want to know. And he's he's an amazing example of life. He serves. He goes diving. He he's a you know motivational speaker. He was he was born without limbs. I know Johnny Erickson, she, she's quadriplegic from a diving accident many years ago. She's an inspirational person. Well, they've, they've undergone a lot of suffering in their lives. But they've continued to find a way to make life valuable and meaningful. Life is valuable, friends, from conception to last breath. I want to say this again. Life is valuable from conception to last breath. And I know in a room this size... Some of you, or there's, there's probably more, multiple folks of you who have been through, perhaps, um, you know, you, perhaps you, you had an abortion when you were young, or your doctor advised it. And I want you to understand, I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to, to heap any guilt on you. I want you to know God's restoring love and grace for you. But you need to know, life is valuable from the beginning to the end, because we're made in the image of of God. Paul wanted his Athenian listeners to understand God is worthy of our allegiance in part because he is the source of life. Secondly, the Bible's perspective is always toward life. It's always towards life. And, and life is our natural instinct, right? We already said that death is inevitable, but our drive is survival. We don't just give up, right? You've heard these amazing stories of endurance in hardship, maybe you, maybe you read the book or saw the movie Unbroken about Louis Zamperini, right? Starting with 48 days surviving on a life raft in the South Pacific and then enduring prison camps. He was just motivated to survive. A few years ago, I read a book called Touching the Void about a mountaineer named Joe Simpson. It was just an epic and highly unlikely story of survival after a climbing accident in the Andes. He fell and broke his leg his friend had to leave him for dead, and he, with severe frostbite and broken limbs, crawled out of one of the toughest climbing situations in the Andes back to safety and and continues to do climbing today. I read that he broke his ankle a a couple years ago, and I felt so much better (laughs) about myself. Right? What about Aaron Ralston? This is the guy that cut off his own arm after a, because he's a rock climber and it got pinched, and after I don't, a couple, three, four days, you're like, okay, I gotta get out of here. And he cuts off his arm. I mean, that is manly right there, right? But that's a drive to survive. 
that's an instinct that God's placed in you. Jesus had a ministry of life. When you read through the Gospels, did Jesus ever ask a sick person, hey, would you like me to heal you, heal you, or should I just kill you? What would you prefer? Never gave that option. Right? The woman that had suffered with a, a blood disorder for 12 years, did he say, you know, you've suffered long enough. How about I just end it for you right now? No. Jesus always has a ministry of life. In his own words of his ministry, he said, my purpose is to give them abundant life or rich and fulfilling, satisfying life. Hebrews 2, we got this one on screen. Hebrews 2.14 says it this way. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus has a ministry of life. Will you embrace the good news that God is a life giver? Exactly 26 years ago, last week actually, uh, my niece, Kalia Kruger, was born. We've got a picture of her. But it was immediately apparent that Kalia would struggle for survival. She was born with a genetic disorder called trisomy 18, and she was given a 10% likelihood of surviving a year. She actually made it to almost 10 years. I was 21 years old when she was born, and hearing the news, I'm embarrassed to, to admit this now, but when I heard that news, I prayed, oh Lord, this will be too hard, just take her now. In, in one of those rare moments where you think you may have just heard the audible voice of God, a rebu- rebuke came from the Lord just as quickly. Who do you think you are to tell me who gets to live and die? Who do you think you are? The arrogance of a prayer like that. And Kalia's needs were significant. Her care needs were enormous. But along the way, her parents received many blessings. I got a picture of my brother-in-law and his daughter from many years ago. They've helped countless other people since. My sister is now a chaplain in a hospital working in the, the um, with, what do you call that, the babies? Neonatal, thank you. My wife's a neonatal nurse. I should know that. (laughs) So even in suffering, life became a precious gift of God. And there were some miracles along the way. I will tell you sometime if we have time. Which leads to a truth that honestly is very hard for me to talk about right now. Because this is not my reality at this point in my life. But I have to say it. Is that suffering serves a purpose. Or it can, if we'll let it. Throughout the Bible and throughout history, people who have suffered are often richer for the experience. Even Jesus suffered. Hebrews 5.8 says it this way, Even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. Think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, having to learn obedience and having to suffer to fulfill His purpose. No one wants to suffer. Let's be honest. I love comfort and I don't like pain. But it may serve a purpose in the life of the sufferer or it may serve a purpose in the lives of 
of those around who care for the sufferer. I'm left speechless and I'm left humbled at the profound difficulties that some people, some of you in this room, that you must endure, but it can serve a purpose. And please hear me say that with utmost humility, because I know I don't speak from that place of suffering. Parents, just think about it this way. Something as simple as, as when your child was up, when their children were little and you, you, you were up at night because they had a fever and it was miserable for them. And there you are begging God to just heal them. Lord, just make them stop throwing up. Right? Just help them. Just let them go back. Just make this fever go down. You're just pleading with God. And yet there's something vital in that bonding moment of caring for your child. I know that's a simple, small example. But there was something important even in that moment. When I was in college, I was a caregiver in a home for developmentally and physically challenged adults. And sometimes it was a really difficult job. It was really hard sometimes. And yet, I gained so much from that experience in the residence of that home that I worked with. Their suffering actually helped me. It served me. And it served a purpose to enrich my life. So when you think about the times that you suffered in your life, did it serve a purpose for you or someone else? Or could it serve a purpose? The last thing I want to say is we don't have the right to end our own life because we didn't start it. This is pretty simple. We just don't have the right to end our own life because we didn't start it. This gets back to Paul's message there to the Athenian Philosophers, God is the source and sustainer of life. For me to end my life, even in difficult circumstances, would be to limit how God may yet glorify himself through my life, even in my last breath. Maybe he may even bring a healing to me of the very end. I think I've told you about uh, the son of my friend, Sheila, whose, whose son was terminally ill. He easily would have qualified for one of those lethal prescriptions. But you know, in those last few days, he slipped into a coma. Get this. He was, he was a stubborn atheist. And Sheila got her Bible study ladies. They had prayed for him for years. And she says, would you pray one more time? And he slipped into a coma. And she says, that's it. He woke from his coma. And she said, I have to tell you about Jesus. I want you to give your life to Christ. And he said, Mom, don't worry about it. He says, what do you mean? Jesus met me in my coma. He spent his last two days witnessing to the people in the hospital. You just don't know what God's going to do in the end. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says it this way. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly await him. What does that mean? Well, it means we live in anticipation of what is yet to come. We look forward to our reward in Christ. Suffering and struggle are not permanent Our focus, not beyond this life, our focus as believers is neither the past nor the present, but on what is yet to come. And to do that, we trust to trust Christ Jesus. We choose to trust Christ Jesus even to our final breath. And in the meantime, Jesus has promised to be present with the believer even to the very end. 
See, a Christian understanding sees life as a matter of stewardship. Right? My life is really not my own. It's really not up to me. I'm just a manager of what God has given me. It means it's, it's simply not my privilege to throw it away. It would, it would be as though a friend gives you an expensive watch. Let's say your friend says, hey, I want you to take this Rolex, and, I, and, and this is yours to use, and I want you to take care of it. But if, you know, if there's ever a problem with it, let me know. If you ever need the battery changed, I don't know if Rolexes have batteries. You know what I mean? Like, right? If, if this, Timex, right? If this valuable Rolex watch, let, let me know. Now, let's say you're wearing that, that beautiful watch that really belongs to your friend, but you get to use it all the time. Suddenly you find it's not keeping time very well. It, it's failing, right? Would you just throw it in the trash? You're just like, man, this Rolex doesn't really work anymore. <sighs> no. You'd either get it fixed or you go to your friend and say, man, I hate to tell you this, but the watch is like, it seems to be dying. It, it's the same thing with our life. I'm just going to throw it away because it doesn't seem to be working that well. So you might, like I said before, you might be wondering why we're even talking about this today. But I want you to understand that Jesus died to give you eternal life. But also for you to live your life with purpose here and now, right until your final breath. We're talking about this because you're going to encounter someone who's discouraged and needs to hear you tell them God has life for you. We're talking about this because we live in a culture that is rapidly moving toward not only suicide for the terminally ill, but toward a reckless disregard for all life that is not wonderfully productive. We're talking about this because you might be terrified of death. And you need to know you can trust Jesus. You can put your faith in Him to give you peace and freedom from that fear. We're talking about this because this is going to come up in your conversations. And, and there, are, there are Christian bloggers who are saying the same thing as the death with dignity people saying, yeah, it's the, it's the compassionate choice to allow someone to end their life. It sounds so good. But you've got to understand, it's just not our prerogative. It's just not our place to do that. And I want you to know that. And I want you to be able to speak for life. I would encourage you to do a little investigation on your own. Just look up SB 128. If you are interested, if you, if you want to be involved in the process, I, there's about 25 copies of a, a form you can fill out and mail or email in. That basically like a petition thing, you can register your voice. I put those in the info center. There's a video that I've posted on the church Facebook page. about It's an 11-minute video that's worth all 11 minutes of it called Stephanie's Journey. If you're not on our Facebook page, just go to stephaniesjourney.org. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-S journey.org. You could go to no assisted suicide C-A. Org. Just get yourself informed a little bit. I'm not trying to make you a political hack, but I want you to understand God is a life-giving God. He's in that business. 
You may be just at a place of real discouragement today yourself. You're caring for somebody. You don't know how to move forward. You're facing something in your own life. You don't, you don't know what, you just don't want to deal with it. I want to tell you, God came to give you life. Not necessarily an easy life, but a meaningful life. A life of purpose. Let's stand together as we close in prayer.